Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Nova Insider Network. It's the end of the road, Rob. We are here. The post-mortem. It is Tuesday, April 5th. It's about 9 o'clock at night. We're both back from New Orleans. Both got a chance to watch that national championship game last night, um, which unfortunately Villanova did not take part of. Yeah. Uh, but quick agenda for this episode, actually quite a bit to cover here. We'll do a little bit of the final game recap. There's not a whole lot that we care to say about it. Uh, it is what it is, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, definitely want to do a post-mortem on the season, uh, kind of like a season in review, if you will, not to be confused with our awards episode, the 40s, where we hand out theoretical bottles of malt liquor to um, certain players and people um, and others around, around the program. Um, Listener note, if you're lucky, we've only done them two out of four years. Yeah, so but we're going to, we take this over, over the top we, this year. Because we have Rachel and Brian to hold us accountable. I think we'll actually get it done this year. <laughs> um, so we're bringing it back. We're going to do the forties, but that's not this episode. That's a different, that's a different episode later. Uh, so, so we have a couple of those things. There's definitely a lot to go around in terms of, um, in terms of all the other happenings around college basketball. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, talk a little bit about what to expect going forward. Uh, so, so good amount to cover here on this podcast, uh, Rob. So, uh, let's start let's, with, let's, let's rock and roll. <laughs> you ready to rock and roll? I'm ready to rock and roll. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's start with the game so we can move kind of that out of the way um so look we played kansas we lost i think the final score was 81 to 65 um lost by 16 game was a little played a little closer than that i, I agree i was going to say the score was not representative yeah. i thought of of the overall feel it was of it, but. it was played closer than that but it never felt like it got to a point where like i was like we're gonna win <laughs> no i, I absolutely yeah. not it Absolutely. was played like a it was played like a high single digit game where they kind of like you know like that funny like those like funny videos where like a bigger kid has his hand out and kind of has their yeah. head on the forehead and we were kind of throwing our fists and that's like a, trying that's to a great analogy try and land a punch but could never actually really do it um, so uh, so that that was kind of the the feel of the game there was a couple points in the second half we got down to six. Caleb Daniels had a couple of threes that felt like it went all the way around the rim and rattled out. Um, and then that they had an answer every single time um, that, that we, that we made any type of charge. The answer, the reality of this game is without Justin Moore, this game was a bigger uphill battle because of the way it was played. And specifically because of the way Kansas played, we clearly, try to sag off of shooters a little bit, like make them do what they're not best at. They're not best at shooting the three ball. They hadn't shot the three ball all that well throughout the tournament. And so we said, well, we're going to collapse inside. Um, We're going to help down low. And if they hit threes, they hit threes and they hit threes. Unfortunately, we didn't do either of those things well because McCormick had 25 and like 10. But it was kind of like one of those things where the game was, I hate to say it, but the game was lost in the first four minutes. Like, like, we went went down 10 and that was it. Like we we never recovered. I I said a number of times, I might not have said on our podcast, I got asked to be on a couple others like throughout the last week, but I said, if Kansas cuts out to like a 10, three run or something like that, like I said, exactly. Like then I don't know if Villanova can hang with them um, because the way that all played out, they hit a couple early threes. They got a couple early um, balls down low. We were able to score. Everything was going in early and it it was just impossible with being shorthanded to come back from that. We actually shot the ball pretty well, 42% from deep. That's, like, a, that's what I said. I said it on the last podcast. If you would have told me at the outset that we shoot 40%, I literally said this on the last podcast. If you would have told me we shoot 40% from three, I would have 100% expected us to win, like without a doubt. I yeah. figured Kansas doesn't shoot a lot of threes, 
And if we're hitting, we're in good shape. The weird thing with the strategy was, and look, we don't need to belabor it too much, but the weird thing about the strategy was, okay, so you allow them to sag off, which by the way, our defense looked like missing people aside, looked fucking terrible, but you sag off from them. The issue is they don't shoot a lot of threes, but they're actually quite a good three point shooting team when they do shoot them. And they have several capable shooters, which they, which they do, which they did take advantage of. So that to me was a little bit of a, a little bit of a miss. I don't know. We, there yeah, were so many, so many open looks they had. It was absolutely nuts. Yeah, you, you don't expect Agbaji as good as he is to make six or seven from from deep. Right? Well, like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they I shot mean, lights out. I mean, even time. if he goes three for seven, which is above his average, like that's a different. It's a different. The game's in a different situation. This but, game, but was we could the- if. And or butt our way through it. We didn't have the personnel to hang with them in this game. The, no, the way I, they played, the way I, they played. I, I do think this was again. We mentioned this at the outset. I don't think the score represented this. I think this is a one or two of those Caleb shots go in. It just changes the tenor of the game, and you get it close enough. Does it change the outcome? I don't know, but it definitely changes how it plays out in the end, in my mind. And. You know, look, you can do the easy math and say, well, Justin Moore scores X points a game. Yeah, fine. Justin Moore, I think I think the bigger impact is one or two of those plays, one or two of their plays end up as a stop. One or two of our plays go down, and that ends up being, you know, an eight-point swing or something and just changes how the momentum shifts. But it is what it is. Look, yeah. Kansas shut the lights out. They, they repaid 2018 a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they showed up. They, they got the job out. done. They were favored. They won, and then they took care of business in a, a really impressive victory last night. So. In the national championship game. I, yeah, I, I, look, I got to be honest with you. <laughs> Was I disappointed in the moment? Of course. I'm always disappointed when Villanova loses. I'm always disappointed when Villanova's season ends. I wasn't two-faced, if I'm being completely candid with you. Did I think we could win the game like going into it? Of course. I thought we could win the national championship going into it with our style of play, even without more. I thought we had – the ability because we played such a different style than everybody else um, to, to really bother the other three teams in the final four, no matter who we saw. Yeah. But if a team as good as Kansas goes off, you aren't going to win. And that's what happened. We had played good defense up till then. I don't think we played great defense, even considering the Justin Moore absence, Justin Moore, everyone says he's our best defender. Um, that certainly this is evidence in that, in that category. Uh, but the reality of the situation is we're undermanned. We lost to an opponent, that opponent won the national championship. I don't really think there's a lot to hang our heads about as Villanova fans. Um, and so, and so it is what it is. Um, and we lost the game. I I don't want to, I don't want to go into much more detail than that on the game because that's kind of how I remember it. Um, and yeah, I agree and, and it is what it is. Um, so look, the other thing too, that like, it's unfortunate when you lose, but it wasn't heartbreaking. <laughs> the fashion of it wasn't heartbreaking. Yeah. It was a little bit of an easier loss to stomach because of the injury situation. Like the injury itself is not easy to stomach, but once you actually manage your expectations and factor those in for what happened, it is what it is. And also like, it was our seventh final four. We've won three out of seven of those final fours, if you will. Yeah. I, I think I think we're okay. <laughs> I think we're like okay. we can make a final four, not win a national championship every so often. So I, I, I I'm I'm proud of this team, um, and I'm really and I couldn't be happier for the guys the way they carried themselves all the way through this season, and uh, and, and for Colin and Jermaine. And uh, and Dada, I am just elated that they were able to get back to a Final Four yeah. and bookend their career um, with a final with Final Four appearances, which is a very rare feat. Uh, okay. So uh, so definitely cool for them. Yeah, so, I mean, you start the season at top four ranking, you end the season in the last weekend in the Final Four. You obviously always want to end on a championship, but only one team does that. So you have to look back at this and say, this is a successful season by any definition of the term. By any definition, this season was a roaring success. Yeah. Not the least of which, let's get into this right now. We asked at the beginning of, I forget if it was the 1819 season or the 1920 season. I forget exactly the timing of when we asked this question, but we asked the question, is the golden age over? Not to say that we wouldn't have future success, 
but there was a clear golden era starting in 14 uh, in uh, the 13, 14 season where Villanova just won 30, 30 games every year was a one or a two seed every year. And, um, and candidly should have had probably more, but made two, uh, won two national championships. And then a lot of in the, especially in the 18 season, the way it was won out, we expected Omari and Dante to stay another season. They did yeah. not. That caused a, um, a drop off in talent. And we had to rely so heavily on Phil Booth and Eric Paschal. And then obviously uh, Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels had to step up. And so, and so we asked the question in that frame time frame, like, is the golden age over? Um, and I gotta be honest with you. I said this earlier before the tournament started Colin and Jermaine and Damir Cosby Roundtree entered as champions. They entered into a team. They played minutes on that team. They were, they were key uh, backup roles on that team. They entered as champions. I'm, I was excited to see how the story played out. They got to write the final chapter of their career by getting Villanova back to a final four. And I think we're just super indebted um, yeah. to them, their leadership, their play and everything for, for finding our way to navigate through what was candidly, not to say like a, a tough era because like we, um, because it wasn't like that hard of an era, <laughs> like it wasn't bad. No, it wasn't bad. no, but, but like, it was, but it was, it was, a, it was a question. It was a question mark, right? I think it was, it was an interesting transition point of, you know, unlike other programs where unlike a UNC or a Kansas or a Duke, where there had been, you know, such an institution of really top-notch performance over an extended period of time that you know those programs are going to go through their ebbs and flows. They're going to go through different recruiting classes that leave and new ones that come in and they'll be able to sustain that level of excellence. We didn't have that. Like this is the first, this was the first really sustained period of excellence for, you know, a five or six year period that we could point to at that top, top level. And it was a legitimate question of what is going to happen? You know, is Jay going to be able to keep that up? Like, are we going to continue to get recruits? Are they going to continue to buy into the system? Are we going to go through another swoon like we had in the early two, 2020s? And the outcome couldn't really couldn't be any better than what we are looking at today. Like, not only have we clearly come through that transition period, but we've come through it, I would argue, at an even stronger level because we are just now regularly talked about and expected yep. to be at such a level that again, this the talk track on this final weekend was it was the weekend of blue bloods. And well, Villanova was just lumped in there because we fucking followed up five years of dominance with another three to four of really, really high performance. And here we are at a final four to cap that over. So we we joked about, you know, we said, feel the rain on your skin. Well, Natasha <laughs> Benningfield, you know, this the story was unwritten, and now it is written. And like that, that chapter. This chapter is done. The next chapter, you've just got to be excited about. Because I think, I, look, I'm just guessing here. But I have to imagine in Jay's head, he was thinking a little bit like, oh, all right, I'm going to be able to keep this up. Like, I'm sure Jay's an arrogant son of a bitch. But like, I mean, he's like, you got to question a little bit. But he's yeah. like, full code is to him. He's like, he's able to get it done. It's amazing. We got it done. And in this intervening period, we've had a, a lot of happen, right? Like every program dealt with COVID. But we dealt with an unprecedented amount of Unprecedented for Villanova, the way Villanova's program operates. Sadiq Bey comes in. He was the least heralded of that four of that four group class. The top most heralded recruit in in Javon Quinterly transfers. Sadiq Bey makes the national. Uh, sorry, makes the NBA after two seasons, and um, and Swider ends up transferring. So Slater's the only one from that you know, 18, 19 recruiting class that stays 1920, like Antoine has dealt, has been star-crossed. Brian Antoine has been star-crossed with injuries his entire career. Um, and it's been tough um, to, to kind of manage through that. And yet here we are, here we are like got, got through it. Colin Gillespie tears his MCL at the end of last season. And, and, we get screwed. That's a deep Bay year. We didn't know we were looking like we were going to be a three seed. That team had a potential to go second weekend. And if things broke the right way, go to the final four. 
We like this, this, this team had to deal with all that turnover. Uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, like has, has an incredible two year career and goes pro. Right. So, so like so selfish of him. So selfish. <laughs> sorry. That's a Maybe. reference to a, uh, a, a Twitter comment that we got. Oh, that was God. Un- unbelievable. But anyway, the, so like we start sending players to the league after two years. In addition to that, in addition to that, we also dealt with unprecedented assistant coaching turnover. Um, we knew that's Baker Dunley. True, we, we knew Baker Dunley from, 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 from a few years back left, but that was before kind of the 18th title. But the but then Ashley Howard has since gone to LaSalle and left and, and got and got fired. Actually, they hired Fran Dunphy as of today, who is now on his third. Uh, big five school in his career. So that's uh, kind of wild. And then um, Kyle Neptune's at Ford. And so these guys were staples of the program. And so we asked, you know, we've got we, you know, Dwayne Anderson's coming to the fold um, after, after leaving Penn state. Um, we've had uh, like Mike Nardi's been there for a while. George Hokovich has been there for a while. Um, and, and so th- there's been some, there's obviously been some steady, kind of progression, if you will. But when you lose top tier assistants, these are the guys actively developing your players, recruiting players, etc. And yet the train has stayed on the tracks and has continued to stay at a pretty high fucking speed. Yeah. So 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 a lot of that is due to Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, and even though he didn't spend as much time on the court in the latter half of his career, the helpful leadership of Demir Cosby Roundtree. Like, and so, and so you point to that and, and say, these guys carried the banner of this program in such an honorable, awesome way and got us back to a final four and did so in a manner that made people say, this is not like, this is now a top end high elite, potentially blue blood program. And we have Colin Gillespie, Jermaine Samuels, and Demir Cosby Roundtree to thank for that. And so, and so, and so when you point to their career arc, and we'll get more into this on future episodes, but when you point to their career arc, I mean, absolutely incredible. Rob, I have to say something about Colin real quick. Um, Cause we talked a lot about Jermaine and Jamarch through the, Jamarch. through the postseason, but there wasn't a single year where even though we were super supportive, we were always like on the Colin Gillespie train on this podcast, but like, but like there wasn't a year where we said, I don't know how much more we can get out of Colin Gillespie. And yet he delivered more every fucking year. Totally. Like, like, well, what more can you say about this kid? It's, it's totally true. Yeah. And he was uh, obviously, like you said, we did talk about Jermaine a lot, but Colin was there obviously incredibly steady in the leadership presence in to get us through to the final four. And like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite end the way you want it to, but, but here we are and full, full credit to him. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I was listening to, I was listening to Titus and I think it was Titus and Tato I was listening to the other day prior to the final four. And they were making the comment that if Villanova somehow pulls it off, does Colin Gillespie go down in history as like one of these like all time great college basketball players? If you were to be able to pull out the win, and obviously, you know, I would say yes. But it's interesting to think about like, you know, is he already like just yeah, even by college? making like where? by making the Final Four? Like, that's that's amazing as it is, especially given from you know where he came from and his his status in the program and just how it's been so consistent. And I mean, hell. Like, it, again, he capped it off here. You got the you got the Bob Cousy Award this year. It's like it's yeah. the nation's best point guard. Like it just kind of, it just kind of got glossed over because we we're yeah. in the Final Four. But like that's a huge fucking deal. Yeah. I mean, again, we we we've now gotten this habit of Villanova winning. You know, every year it seems like we've got somebody who's either in the top five or they've won one of these awards. I think we've had a lock on the small on the Julius Irving Award for like Mikhail won it, Josh won it, Sadiq won it. I think Sadiq won it too. Yeah. Um, so like we just rank, like run these out, but yeah, that was just kind of glossed over and like amazing. Like I would have thought if you would have said coming into this season, you know, Colin wins biggies player of the year. I've been like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's nice and expected. If you would have told me he won the Bob Cousy award, I would have said, really? Like, again, not downplaying Colin, but like, I, he hasn't been necessarily talked about on a national level. I think 
quite that highly, maybe it's a, a sign of disrespect, but like, it's amazing for him to be able to accomplish that and should not be overlooked. I mean, let's just talk about the season then. I agree wholeheartedly what Colin, what Colin's done and meant for this program and everything that he's accomplished. And I just don't think there's enough that you can, there's not, not enough words to, to articulate or write about, about these guys. Do you, do you um, want to do season now or do you want to do, talk about New Orleans now? Oh, you know what? Yeah, let's do New Orleans. Let's do New, New Orleans, Orleans first. Yeah. Good call. Good call. We're kind of getting a little sappy. So let's, let's turn yeah. it back. Let's turn it back a notch. Have a little fun with this. Um, so, so New Orleans. So we did a podcast with Daniel Shefu live from the team hotel. Um, we talked if, about. If you could put up with the audio on that one, hat tip to you. Yeah. I listened to part of it. I was like, Brian was not kidding. There was a lot of background noise. There was definitely a lot of background noise. <laughs> we were we were fighting through it a little bit. It was a different circumstance than we were in San Antonio at a team yeah. hotel. Um, it wasn't as uh, spacious, if you yeah. will. So we were in the middle of everything. Um, but but New Orleans, we said on that we said on that podcast, kind of like give you a sense of things. We said New Orleans was objectively of the three final fours that we've had recently. And I guess you could lump in Detroit with that too. Like objectively by far the best of the final four cities in terms of just like everything the city had to offer. The food was incredible. Um, The atmosphere was really fun. There was definitely a lot of action. It wasn't as tightly packed as San Antonio was where San Antonio, you couldn't miss final four people. It was kind of everywhere. It was all on, on top of it because it was such a small little area. It was like the river walk and then kind of like the area by the Alamo dome and like the bars over there. And everybody was kind of like packed into that area of the city. Houston was widely spread out and didn't have as much identity. Um, Houston was the, terrible. The, Detroit yeah. is Detroit. Yeah, Detroit's not, if you're watching YouTube, Detroit's not even on my screen right now. Houston's at the bottom of the screen. San Antonio's, yeah. I guess, a little bit higher. And then New Orleans is significantly. And I will say, I will admit too, I'd never been to New Orleans before. Yeah. I was very much a skeptic on the city. I really didn't have any desire necessarily to go there. And then I said, well, I guess this is kind of the perfect opportunity to go there. And I was... I was really, really impressed. I will yeah. say, look, we, we made our appearance on, on Bourbon Street, which I will stay, still say is, is absolutely terrible. I mean, look, the locals say it's basically like time. It's, it's like Times Square, right? Like yeah. as a New Yorker, I don't go to Times Square because it's terrible. Like as a local, you don't go to Bourbon Street because it's, it's also terrible. But some of the other places around, around there were awesome over on Magazine Street. Um, Frenchman area was, was great. We had a great time there too. And then also just like getting outside of like the downtown area a little bit too, like went on a couple runs, like absolutely just beautiful area, you know, outside of the downtown too. So I had an amazing time, a little bit of a contrarian take on the food. I thought the food was all right. I wasn't as, I was, I wasn't as blown away from it. I think this is a you and me differential differentiation situation. I would, I would, I literally liked it so much that I want to go back and eat more. Um, I, I, could, am, I, I but, could not eat more. I had no I issue think, with that. But I think that has to do with food preferences um, mm. more than anything else. You're going to more, you more lean towards some of like your, uh, what, what, you, you like those contemporary American restaurants, yeah. you yeah, like yeah. that type of stuff, etc. I've always been a little bit more, exotic if you will off the beaten path not to say that new orleans food is overly exotic but i yeah kind of, i was gonna say what are, you, what are you talking about it's like all like creole food like it's not yeah that yeah creole but a different like a little bit different flavor profile i like more seafood i i, I like a lot of seafood like in terms of i don't know about this comparison i i just i just wasn't that impressed by it i like all these things yeah i like it i like whatever we're defining exotic food i feel like i'm bordering on something here i'm gonna get canceled um i'm telling you <laughs> i love seafood. our food preferences our food preferences matter here. And I think my food preferences would lead me to like this more than perhaps, than perhaps that, that, that's the, that's the oh. ultimate point. Okay. Sorry. The one hot take beignets totally overrated. Well, well, first off, wait, 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 hold on. Hold on. This is actually a, this is actually a point of contention. This is re- Yeah. This is absurd. Rob didn't want to wait online, which is not an abnormal line for cafe Dumont at all. 
Like, but Rob, Rob did not want to wait online. So he went to Cafe Beignet and got, and which got, is the like, other big, which is the other it big, it's, it's, it's the other big beignet place. If you look up best beignet places, it's like Cafe Du Monde and Cafe yeah, Beignet. You had to go to Du Monde. Yeah, you, you to the to the line was an hour and a half. Oh, I'm sorry. You took some calls. You couldn't wait in line. If you want to go somewhere, <laughs> you should have gone there. It's a, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a funnel cake. It's like a funnel cake. Yes. At the but, end of the day, it's, it's a funnel just, cake. It's a Zeppeli, okay? It's a, it, it's not all that different. It's it's all kind no, of it's similar. It's just some powdered sugar. It's some dough with some powdered sugar. You get sugar. an oily, donutty type yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the ceiling is so low. I don't understand. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my Benjay. Look, I, I didn't not enjoy it. I very much enjoyed it. Yeah. It's just like, it's maybe I not just the think, best thing in the world. I think we needed to get, I think we needed to go and do the experience the right way. You and I, because of time constraints, work constraints, et cetera, mostly me, could not get that to happen. We did have some beignets, um, but you know, uh, fine, fine. I get your point. I get your point. All right. There's been way too much French speak on this episode so far. So if you guys could lay out for those of us who did not go to the final four, what was the kind of day to day or hour to hour, like at the team hotel? And then what was that pre-party like? That was, I think all Villanova fans. That's a good point, Brian. Let's get back on track here. So, so, we're talking about uh, pastries. We're always on track. Got, yeah, Rob's happy to talk about pastries. <laughs> um, I got in late Wednesday night, didn't do anything. Rob got in early Thursday morning. Um, there was definitely people, I would say Thursday was kind of the day that there was arrivals kind of happening into Friday a little bit, but definitely by Thursday night, it felt like there was a crowd. By the time we got to the team hotel on Thursday night, there was definitely a lot of action. We saw a ton of people. Right. Um, uh, there was there was people hanging out. There's people by the bar all night. That was the night we ended up ditching the team hotel after a few hours and going to Bourbon Street for a while. Grabbed a bite of food, the whole nine yards. It was it was a lot of fun. And then and then and then we kind of called it a night. Um, Friday, pretty much everyone got in by like mid to late Friday. And what everyone I mean, like the all the Nova Nation, you saw the all charters, the yeah, the buses. You saw the college kids, you saw the you saw the uh you saw the students, you saw you saw all the people wearing all the gear. By the time Friday really got into the swing of things, it really kind of felt like okay, we're in final four weekend now. Totally. Uh, and then team motel had a nice setup. It was yeah like the Marriott was pretty nice, had obviously the merch store there, get your official gear, ample space at the bar. They were bartenders were, uh, were serving pretty, pretty heavily, which was nice. That is something that I wanted to point out actually, because we've been now to two other team hotels. San Antonio did not have like a good bar area in our team hotel. I felt like it, it did, but I felt like this one had a, like at, it was, do you remember in San Antonio, you kind of, it was like, there was an atrium set up. Yeah. Yeah. And then you had, but it was a very tightly squeezed in area in yeah. the corner. For the hotel bar. accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Houston was Houston. The, the problem was you had to take like a 20, 30 minute Uber to get anywhere in Houston. Yeah. So, I didn't even go. I don't, I don't even know. If no, I'm we went to the team hotel. We went to the team hotel. Oh, you're right. We did. We did. Yeah, 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 they yeah. did have a bar area, but it was much more like sit down. Yeah. There wasn't much. This was the best team hotel bar. Yeah. Um, because it was a big open bar. I thought they did a great job staffing it because I didn't feel like I was sitting there waiting for drinks all that long. Did you? No, I, no yeah. not at all. And yeah. you're able to, you're to mill about it. There's plenty of seating too. Like we would yeah. pop in, like we were doing the pod on Friday. Everybody was arriving kind of at that same time, which is why there was so much background noise, but we were still able to grab a seat without too much trouble too. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. It was very centrally located. Yep. It was pretty convenient, relatively convenient to the Superdome. If you did want to walk, it would have been a little bit of a longer walk from there. But net, net, just super convenient, great drinks, a lot yep. of people there, people milling about, not a whole lot more you could ask for, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, totally. Completely agree. Um, Friday night, another night, another late night out. Um, yeah. And, and then... <laughs> And then, and then we went out to, that was when we went to Frenchman quarter, Frenchman street, whatever the Frenchman hell street, yeah, Frenchman yeah. street, went to a place called cafe Negril. I don't know how to say it. Negril. Yeah. I, yeah. I, whatever. whatever. Um, it was, that place was absolutely on fire. That place. Great, was great Nova crowd. Huge it was Nova definitely crowd. a huge Nova crowd there. Yeah. It was wild. Um, and then on top of that, actually shout out to my friend, uh, Jenny, who I went to high school with and also True. went to college with. 
She took us out to a burrito place called Juan's Flying Burritos in Magazine Street. And then we stopped really quickly by the Arcade Fire free concert for a hot minute. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah Barnett, our friend, uh, good friends of the pod, good fans of good friends of our program, um, who uh, who actually shouts to her. She was the one who recorded all our Shack Fit episode a couple of years back. Sure. Um, so, uh, but she wanted to go to the Arcade Fire concert. We went we went that with her. Then we walked over to Frenchman Street, went to Cafe Negril live band. This band happened to be from Philadelphia, um, and and it was the drinks were flowing. Um, and the bartenders were awesome, like super great personalities. Like sometimes you go to bars that are busy and these guys can't be bothered. These guys were super into the whole like experience. Amazing. They wanted you to have a good time. And the band was absolutely incredible. And that was a late, very uh, non-sober evening. Uh, yeah, over there. I, had, I had absolute blast. I was, I was totally blown away with that. And Nicole and I ended up going back there uh, and our friend Bill went back there on saturday as well too yeah. but yeah i did the team hotel thing on saturday <laughs> yeah, shocker yeah yeah uh, but then the we had the pregame the pregame saturday which was also in terms of pregames this is another thing if we look over like over the years right 2016 in houston we're just straight up in a ballroom yeah just in a ballroom in, in fairness to i don't think that was a villanova thing as much as it was a nrg stadium is in a parking lot I, I mean, fine. It, it yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's matter. Whatever it is. It yeah. was in a ballroom. It was fine. It was our first time there. We had a blast. Don't get me wrong. San Antonio, we're in like an indoor outdoor space. It was a lot cooler, had good vibes, really enjoyed it. And then this place, I have no idea what it I was. I can't remember what it was called. It doesn't matter. Walk in places, bumping, really cool setup. It's clearly a an event venue. It's got a great feel to it. Got a bunch of different spaces all spread out. Again, drinks were flowing. The people were absolutely pumped to be there. And it was like, I don't know who gets the credit for it, but if Villanova is the one organizing it, like they should get some credit because they are definitely stepping the game up on that front. We had food was good too. Food was I like the food. I didn't. I didn't have too much food there. I did have the macaroni. I didn't have enough food. I had, I had a lot of macaroni. Sure. I was going to say we both had plenty of drinks. We were doing shots, which I haven't done shots in a very long time, probably since yeah. somebody's wedding recently. Um, but yeah, we we probably had a little bit too much to drink prior to the game. But you know, all net net, a great yeah. time. But I, I got to say thank you. A bunch of people um, did come up and say hello. Um, for, you know, uh, people who listen to the podcast and that was really awesome. I really appreciate you guys coming and saying hello to us. Um, and it was, uh, it was definitely a lot of fun to meet, uh, to meet some of our listeners. Um, and I hope to get more opportunities to do that in the future. Uh, so that was, that was really cool. And I really thank all those people who, who, uh, who did that. And I, it was really awesome to get to meet you. Um, so One funny thing there. Uh, a couple of people didn't know who was Chris and who was Rob. So yes. Yes. That was definitely a thing. There's definitely a thing, which, yeah. which is funny because like I do more of the talking yeah, uh, on the podcast. Rob is the clearly better looking one. And so, so we both had something to be offended by in this situation when people didn't know who was him, but that's fair enough. It was really uh, funny. So um, so with all that being said, so the pregame was awesome. Then we got over to uh, the Superdome. This is the area where I do want to issue a little bit of a complaint. Um, we got um, we got student Great. we got tickets through the school. Um, our friend Evan, shout out to our friend Evan, was able to uh, acquire tickets through the school. He's a season ticket holder. Um, although that didn't seem to play a factor, it seemed to be like a first come first serve thing. Really um, weird. Really yeah, weird. it was really weirdly organized and done. And I'm not exactly sure why you do it. Like, why would you have all these Nova points thing? If you're not going to assign the sections by the Nova points. Um, and maybe I'm totally wrong. And our friend who's a season ticket holder, who by definition has to be a pretty big donor, um, just doesn't have the Nova points but we had our ticket allotment of like 3,500 or maybe more seats. So I'm, I'm actually a little bit surprised that we weren't um, part a little bit closer uh, to the, was it 3,500 or 7,000? I forget. 3,500. Uh, yeah. 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 Right, right. Um, um, I, I'm surprised we ended up a little bit closer, but the problem was this, there was an expectation set about what section that we'd be in. Yeah. And candidly, while I've always been a proponent of going in the Nova section, had I known what I know now, 
I would have probably actually picked an upper deck section that was center court um, because we were stuffed in a corner um, that was kind of like under a hood. It just kind of just felt a little bit out of the entire environment. Like our seats, like, like we, we, uh, to, to credit to the Superdome, like we had a full view of the court. There wasn't any issue with like seeing, yeah. it, but it was just like atmosphere wise, we were tucked in a corner. Yeah. And, and I think my issue with this whole thing is the communication around this was terrible. And in 2016, I'd almost give people an excuse, right? Because you haven't done this in kind of a modern era. So you don't really, well, I don't know. They've done it seven years prior, whatever. Um not as recently had they done it. Now at this point, we've been to three final fours in six years. This should be a well-oiled machine that says, hell, at the outset of the season, they send an email out to the whole alumni base and say, this is, we go to the final four. This is how the ticket allotment is going to go down. Here's how you earn Nova points. Tickets are going to be allocated in X, Y, and Z section or like, you know, in X, Y, and Z manner. And then once they actually figure out what the ticket allotment is, once we go to the final four, you then insert a graphic into said email, resend the email, tell people what to do, say the tickets are going to be in these sections. We're going to start here. The best seats are going to be allocated up this row, down this row, over, starting the next row. And then people can actually make an informed choice to say, hmm, do I think I'm going to get tickets? And if I think I'm going to get tickets, do I think I'm going to like where I'm going to sit? Because then I can make a call and say, oh yeah, maybe I actually want to prefer an upper deck section, or maybe I'm going to take my chances and see if I can get a ticket through somewhere else. But the lack of communication around this was a total joke. So to give you a great example, Evan is a season ticket holder. Um, He actually gave me the heads up. He's like, hey, you know, you should try to register for these too. So like, I just happened to go on the website after talking to him, you know, put my registration in. I'm not a season ticket holder. I'm actually not even a donor at this standpoint. I haven't donated in the past couple of years. So it, you know, whatever, shame on the school. They didn't call me back. I stopped donating. Their CRM sucks. So whatever. Um, I'd happily donate at this point. They just don't bother to call. And I'm terrible with admin as, you know, Ryan, Rachel and Brian know, and all of our friends who I haven't submitted my expenses for a long time. But anyway, uh, it's neither here nor there. Point being, I submitted this request. My seats that I got were 10 rows in the same section, 10 rows behind the seats that Evan got. That's crazy and makes no sense a season ticket holder should get preference because he's a season ticket holder right like what is i just don't think they did it that way i I, look i think the ultra you know the ultra high-end donors probably had good choice good seats but everyone else i think they just went first come first serve by a certain point and i yeah and i just think unfortunately that worked against us uh and so it is what it is. I, I just was surprised. I, I never envisioned our seats being in the corner that it was. I always thought that we'd kind of be kind of like a straight on, maybe we'd be at the end of the court, but kind of straight on um, to the, uh, to the thing. So whatever it is, what it is. Um, One other thing I personally no. would like to complain about just because you guys both know how hard I tried to get to the final four, like to go to new Orleans. Like I was willing to take a 31 hour train ride. Um, like I really thought about it, but the one thing that I didn't love was when the school sends out the email to everybody, like about the travel packages, they say like, they set a price and the price was 1850, but that was only the price. If you had four people to one. Oh my gosh. I know. And then, and then it jumped and it wasn't like, Oh, it's a $200 jump. Every time you lose a person, it was like a $600 jump. If you lose the person. And so like they get you to click on it. Cause it's like, Oh, 1850. If it includes hotel and, and tickets to the games, actually not that bad. Yeah. Right. Like actually not terrible. And you get like access to the pregame stuff, like all that, not that bad, but you know, you, if you only had two, if you only had two people to fill a room, like it was already at like almost $3,000. And if you didn't have, if you only had one person, it was like, you know, like it was like, I think it was almost three grand or maybe a little over. Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of ridiculous. Cause like so quickly the price doubled based yeah. on like, you know, then I, that, so that true. to me also was like a little misleading. Like I wish they just put the prices in the email. Yeah. No, because, that's, that's a very good point. You know, I just thought that that was kind of like misleading marketing anyway. But anyway, I guess jilted, we're, we're, we're jilted nit- fans, you know, 
I still had fun. It was fun. I was going to say we're, we're nitpicking a little bit. Net, yeah, net. We, we, we had a, we had a great time in new Orleans to be clear. Obviously very, feel very privileged to be able to go down to the final four and spend a bunch of money on it. Um, and I also will say, given the circumstance of where we're sitting, I thought the Superdome was really cool. <laughs> like, like that was a cool arena. That was a cool venue. It was a general. cool venue. I thought that I thought the food selection was a little bit, a little bit limited. It was limited. It was limited. The drink selection was not hard to come by. Yeah. Like I never had a hard time getting a beverage, which again was a prop was never a problem for me this weekend. Um, but, but neither here nor there. I thought it was a. Uh, I thought it was a cool venue for sure. Yeah. No, um, I agree. All right, let's move on. I, I think we got to do a little season in review here. Um, so. So this season started out, Rob, you mentioned earlier, we started in the top kind of like five uh, on the season. Um, obviously fell back a little bit early on the season with losses to UCLA, loss to Purdue, um, and then, you know, Baylor and Creighton in consecutive weeks kind of fell all the way back into the late, well, he didn't fall out of the top 25 ever this season, but fell back into like the the, the, the 20s. Um, yeah. And kind of throughout the course of January and February kind of climbed and clawed our way back into um, the final, uh, into the top 10 um, by the final AP poll. And I just got to say, I, I have to, this season, like we, we, we started out with such a hard schedule and there was questions to ask, right? Like, was it too hard? Was it too mm. much? Did we do ourselves a disservice um, by doing it, by, by making it that difficult on ourselves. And Jay said from the, and he actually admitted after he's like, maybe I, maybe we shouldn't have, but actually I think it was really good because he said early on, he goes, I know that this class, that the people who are leading this team are mature enough to not get too down after a loss and not lose their confidence. And guess what? Despite four losses before January 1st, we only took four more losses in the ensuing three plus months, right? Like, and, and made it farther than all of the teams where we, we lost those losses. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, I just got to say, I, I, I like when you look at that non-conference schedule, which was early on, really the story of the season, like I think it battle tested us. The Big East continued that 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 test, um, but that battle tested that we got in the early part of the season. We said, "Oh, if this team's going to lose, like we said this earlier in the year, we said we said I guarantee if this team loses, it's going to come at the hands of, um, you know, we 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 ran out of gas, we ran out of um, we ran out of uh, electricity, so to speak, late in the game, and we surrendered a lead. We never did that. That's not how we lost. <laughs> um, yeah." Very true. And, and so, and so, and so we were concerned that that was going to be the story of our season and it wasn't. Um, so, so we, so kudos to these guys, kudos to Jay and the program for not letting those early season losses kind of define our season at all. Um, and instead actually kind of like toughened us up a little bit and, and got us going through uh, the latter part of the season. Now the narrative early on, that we did not get enough from our bench, um, I think actually did play a role um, down down the stretch yeah. of the season. Like, yeah, I mean, like you so. could point to the fact that that yes, we made a Final Four and all that stuff, and this is absolutely by all means like a a, a very successful season. But the fact of the matter remains that we were down players and could not go to Patterson and Joku. Like we used a lot of Antoine. Uh, but we could not go deep into our bench um, in order to find minutes and find length and find strength um, in those players. And that might be a comment on the players. That might be a comment on the coaches. That might be a comment on trust. Um, now but I mean, could, but it's, it's two years in a row too. Yeah. And it's one, of, it's one of those things where, you know, we actually had, we had quite a run of fortune where we didn't have any significant injuries for a number of years. And we'd actually talked to, to John Shackleton about this a couple of times too, where, yeah, we, we had the broken hands kind of scattered throughout the season and Phil Booth had like some lingering injury, but by and large, we hadn't had any one-time traumatic injuries, you know, 
like a Curtis Sumter where they're out for the year or it happens mid tournament. And as a result that, yeah, you know, it plays a little bit into Jay's narrative and his approach of, well, you know, if guys are staying healthy, why do I necessarily need to develop somebody further if I can just push them because, because it is March, right? And it's one more game and these guys are young and healthy and you know they're going to get up for it. That's all well and good. But now we've got two years in a row where a traumatic injury late in the season absolutely impacted the team's fortunes. And Colin, obviously, look, you're never going to replace Colin, you know, to be very clear, right? Were you going to fully replace Justin? No, not one-to-one. But would we have performed better had Antoine, had Patterson gotten more run throughout the season so that they were more comfortable stepping into those roles? I would argue, yes. Again, does it change the outcome of the game? I don't know that it does, yeah. but I think it, it changes a few possessions. It changes some of those closeouts and it probably makes this a tighter game. It could have made this a tighter game. I think the bigger issue is we now have a situation where Justin Moore very well might not play next season or for a significant chunk of next season. Yeah. And what, what, what's the answer to that question? And I'm not ready at this point in terms of the podcast. I'm not like, like, look, I could free associate, but I'm not ready at this point in time to answer that question because I want to see what the transfer portal looks like. I want to see kind of like kind of what happens here, you know, following the season, you know, there's, there's definitely talk on hashtag Villanova Twitter. That's like, that's like, Oh, there's going to be a transfer. And I'm not convinced that there will be, I'm not convinced that there won't be. Um, but like, I just think we need to let the dust settle on this season a little bit more before I start to speculate, talk, starting lineups for next year, etc. I want to let this final four breathe a little bit candidly. Um, so, so yeah, look, we talked about this as a narrative all season long. I just think like to put a bow on it, like I, I think you could ask for more from, from what took place in terms of how we utilize the bench. I don't think you could ask for more in terms of the result of this season. Um, so, so I think that's kind of the bow that you tie this knot with like, is, is like, it's like, okay, well, we got as much out of the season as we probably could have. And, and candidly, there was only two more games to win to get any more out of it. Yeah. Um, but, but w- what else could there have been potentially um, in terms of go forward potential? But these guys get better over the summer. These guys work hard over the summer. These guys work hard throughout the year in practice. So that story, (laughs) to go back to the unwritten point, is a little unwritten. But I'm not too worried going forward. I just want to see how the dust settles on the transfer portal and other decisions. Um, You know, Slater and Daniels are technically um, graduated seniors um, and have the option to come back because of COVID rules but they could make a decision to um, to either test the waters, sure. do something different, go pro overseas, whatever it may be that they might want to do in their lives. They don't need to continue playing basketball. So, so, you know, we, we have to wait for that. Yeah. So, so there's definitely, there's definitely like things that do I think they're going to come back? Yeah. I happen to think that both come back. I happen to think that we probably have one transfer out, one transfer in. I actually won't name any names because I don't know who those people will be. Um, I, I could kick around five names that could do it and I could kick around and there's about 1100, 1200 names in the transfer portal right now um, who could come here. So that's for, I'm going to let that dust up. That's all my point is there. Um, in terms of other narrative throughout the season, we talked about um, Samuels um, throughout the course of the season. I think we answered that narrative quite a bit. It was awesome down the stretch to see Jermaine Samuels realize his full potential and be a driving force on this team that really, in my mind, won us four or five games in the month of March um, this year. And I just have nothing but positive things to say for how he ended his career, especially given that he had a shake, he had shaky moments and battled through some injuries throughout the season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We were obviously down on him at times, but to be able to round that out is just, so so phenomenal and a guy who we always talked about so much of his potential and we we talked about so many times what this team could be like when he hits that potential when he gets to that level 
And that's exactly what you saw in the entire last month of the season. You saw him hitting that potential. And look, I, I don't want to make a, oh, you know, what could have been? Because because frankly, like, you know, probably not a whole lot more could have been from a team perspective had Jermaine hit that a little bit earlier. I don't know. Maybe we end up as a as a one seed. But does it change the outcome of the season? No. no. Who cares? Does it change the tra- tra- trajectory of his career? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, would he be, you know, on some draft boards at this point, getting some consideration? Yeah, perhaps. I think he still has, you know, he's got a lot of polishing that still has to be done. So I don't know if that's necessarily in his future. Um, but it was really cool to see it absolutely come together. And that's a theme that we've talked a little bit about on the past couple episodes as well, too. And one thing I continue to be guilty of as a fan is just not trusting that Jay will be able to get it together and these guys will coalesce, but year in and year out, that just seems to be what happens no matter necessarily how rocky things are at the outset, even with those, those losses early to be able to pull it together, obviously shades of 2016 where you, you know, you're getting blown out and you question the team, but then just everything starts to click. And I think we, we asked a Ray about it a little bit. And he, he said, you know, it's, oh, it's just reps. It's just reps. And you know, maybe it is just reps, but I kind of think there's something, there's something a little extra there. So I don't know what exactly is happening, but the way that the team does seem to consistently be able to elevate their performance come March, I think, you know, that's ultimately a hallmark of a great coach, right? Like you talk about the great coaches as the ones who are able to perform in March, right? They're not the ones who have great regular season success. They're the ones who have multiple titles, the ones who have a bunch of final fours and the ones who have a bunch of titles and a bunch of final fours are the guys who are able to get it together and really elevate their team and take them to the next level. And look, Jay's been absolutely able to do that now for the past, call it, I don't know, seven years at this point. And that is something that should absolutely not be overlooked. So look, that, that won't change how I'm sure I'll react when we lose a couple games at the beginning of next season. But, you know, it's something good to kind of keep in the back of your mind that yeah. if we do have a veteran laden roster who has that experience you got to know that they've got the pieces there to be able to get it together to the ex- the best extent they have possible. Yeah. I look, I, I, I think one of the lessons I've learned over the course of being a fan is, is that riding or dying on a singular game. Look early in the season, you don't have a big sample size. So I get it more riding or dying on a single game in a regular season is, is like, you're going to kill yourself over it. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. root hard. Don't get, don't get me wrong. Like yeah. go nuts. If you're at the game, go absolutely insanely wild and use it as a moment to, to drink a little too much and have a little too much fun. You won't regret that ever. But like, but like the, the reality of the situation is that individual, when, when we're at a program like us, individual losses or wins are going to happen. Weird shit's going to happen in an individual season. Like it's going to be crazy. I want to talk, I want to continue kind of going through the season and review how did this team, how this team come in first, no, second, technically, in the Big East regular season um, is, is pretty remarkable because we lose one to Creighton, um, we lose two to Marquette, and then only take one more loss at UConn for the rest of the regular season. This team stretch where they went on the road and beat Providence at the dunk, had a really tight loss against UConn, and then kind of swept everybody out through the rest of the regular season, including beating Providence again at the pavilion. The way this team held its shit together and got through that end of the season, which was a gauntlet, was in retrospect super impressive. Um, And to get those two games from Providence, who had a good showing in the tournament, uh, gave Kansas a hell of a fight, actually, in retrospect. I was curious as to what they were doing game plan-wise. They just couldn't couldn't put the ball in the bucket. And yet they still held Kansas um, to, I think, a tournament low point total. Um, So it was a um, – it was – they they had an impressive season, and we we won two games against them. So I I think that was impressive. And then this team's – this team's Big East tournament championship was definitely one to remember. Uh, that I'll, I'll always, re- if we want to talk about games that I'll remember um, in this season, uh, the three games that stick out to me, the game at the dunk, I'll add the game at UConn, even though it was a loss. Um, the game at home versus Providence and the UConn game and the Creighton game um, in the Big East tournament. 
uh, and, and really the St. John's game too. The whole Big East tournament was was wild. Uh, that that sixteen point, we were down sixteen points and came all the way back. Just to think about how this tournament and everything could have been different if that team doesn't complete that comeback against St. John's. Maybe they wind up as a three seed, and maybe they're you know maybe it's a different road to the Final Four. That comeback ended up being a lot of things, and then we got that amazing environment against UConn at the Big East tournament and the team goes on to win a Big East tournament championship, I thought was awesome. So look, end of the year, uh, this team did as good as you can ask 16 and four in conference. I think it is about as good as you can ask. Uh, You had a Big East tournament championship and you went on and you made the final four um, and, and, and did it. As I said, as I said early on in the season, I uh, sorry, early on in the podcast, I don't think there's much more you could have asked from this team. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it's crazy. I was I remember looking at the schedule on ESPN, I don't know, a few days ago or something like that. And it actually just kind of blew my mind how many because they put the the wins in the wins in green and the and the losses in red. It's really nuts. Once you hit basically the first of the year after that Creighton loss, it's just green, 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 green. Oh, little blip, green, 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 green. Just one win after another. And I didn't in the moment, I definitely didn't have full appreciation for just how many of those wins really get strung together. Now, obviously when you look back at the record and you say 16 and four inherently, they have to have strung a lot of wins together just to get that record. But it was really impressive to do that. And then, like you said, to have the biggies tournament on top of it. And then of course, the NCAA tournament, it's a lot of wins at the end of the year. Um, you know, we've got one, two, three, four, five regular season, three big East got us two. that's eight. And then what did we get three in the tour four in the tournament? That's, uh, that's pretty good. So it's 12 wins in a row before the loss to Kansas. And that's, that's the record you want to end the season on for sure. In terms of memorable games, I think the biggest one for me, which we talked about in the moment was the Providence game at the dunk. That was easily the game I had been most excited about. I think since the 2018 run and brought a lot of energy to me into this season. And that was, that to me, I think was a big, a big turning point for this team because we didn't have that really signature win. And I think that gave us that signature win. And look again, we're not in the locker room, but I'd have to imagine that does a lot from a confidence standpoint to say, yep, we can hang with these, these guys who are getting touted as, you know, the leaders of the big East and no, the, the championship runs through Villanova, call it what it is. Yeah. Um, so I agree with all that. So I, I think that's a good wrap on the kind of season and review. Well, yeah. as I said, we're going to have the forties, which we'll hand out, um, in a little, in, in a couple episodes. Yeah. Um, so I want to, I, I want to talk a little, a little heart monitor, um, which we haven't done in quite some time, but there was a really cool tweet that got sent out today. Um, Sadiq Bay has been absolutely crushing it in the league. Um, he had a, he had a, what, a 51 point performance and followed that up with, what do you have another 30 plus or 40? Well, I mean, he's, he's regularly ripping off 30 point performances. (laughs) He, he, the other day, the game you're talking about was he scored 31 points. And I think about in about 20 minutes on seven of nine shooting from three, he also has the, I believe he has the Pistons all time single season three point record now, which is kind of crazy. Again, obviously they haven't had a great team in the really the three point era. So you can caveat it a little bit. But the fact that he's able to do that, uh, you know, coming into the league, I, I'll be one of the first ones to admit, I thought his shot in college was a little bit funky. And I thought he was maybe getting a little bit lucky. And I was like, ah, I hope it translates to the pros. And absolutely. Yeah. This dude just catches fire all the time. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, obviously I'm not an NBA scout for good reason. Um, but yeah, it's been, been really cool to watch that. The, uh, the, the thing I'll say too, is that the thing that the tweet that came up today, that was incredible. There's two players in the entire National Basketball Association that have started every single game this season. Those players, Sadiq Bay and Mikhail Bridges. That's it. It's pretty good. And Bridges is running on just a consecutive games played streak. I don't believe he's missed a game in his entire professional career, which builds on his Nova time where he also did not miss a game, which I believe goes back through high school as well. Well, he redshirted the one year, but yes, he didn't technically. Play. Okay, go fuck yeah. yourself, Jesus, <laughs> God. But but my God, it's it, a it, game it, he was eligible for. So I mean, yeah, checks God. out. Oh, the, 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 uh, the 
the Iron Man that nature of these two guys is incredible. Um, so that's yeah. why I pointed it out. I thought that was like a really, um, I thought that was a really awesome. Uh, I thought that was a really awesome tweet there, and uh, and I really love to see our guys continuing to do well in the league. All right, uh, I got I got to throw out to also Sadiq Bay here. So there's this post that Nova Insider put it up. I think Nova MB probably put it up too. Is like a bunch of the alums who were at at the Final Four. Sadiq is standing there. His shoulders look like they're about five feet wide. And he makes Josh Hart looks like Josh Hart is like the tiniest man in like the stadium. It's unreal. I was like, okay, dude, like hit the gym much. Like, geez, good for him. Yeah. And by the way, Josh's not small. (laughs) No, it's like Josh is super in shape. And Sadiq's just like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah. 51 points coming at you. Oh my goodness. Amazing. All right. Uh, So that kind of takes care of, uh, that kind of takes care of that. Also, just a couple other housekeeping items. Um, well, Chris, I, before you before you kind of start to sign off, I wanted to see, especially for like a season wrap up, if you wanted to take a victory lap on the Big East coaching carousel, because even as a Big East yes. actor, I think they performed pretty well for the available spot. That's actually a really good point, Brian, and I'm glad you brought it up. I appreciate that. Um, so the Big East this year had a lot of there was a lot of talk going on. Oh. Is Ed Cooley going to move on? What's going to happen with Ewing? What's going to happen with Kevin Willard, et cetera? Kevin Willard moves on to Maryland, and all they do is bring in newly minted awesome young coach, Shaheen Holloway, who just took his St. Peter's team to the Elite Eight. And, oh, by the way, like the two or three like most important players on that team just all put their name in the transfer portal. And so there's a question that they might all go to Seton Hall. So, so here we go, adding a newly minted elite eight coach, Sheen Holloway. And I feel like Seton Hall is more excited about their future than Maryland is, despite the fact that Maryland just hired the Seton Hall coach away. So, so that's uh, number one, but that doesn't even scratch the surface. Um, Trap Xavier, uh, cans Travis Steele, who winds up at Miami of Ohio. That just that news just broke in the last week. Xavier goes on, wins the NIT under uh, Jonas Hayes, I think his name is, um, um, who is their uh, who was their interim coach. And th- in the middle, they hire Sean Miller, who used to coach Xavier and obviously has coached great teams since, especially at the University of Arizona. So, so you had those two. You had that switcheroo. So Sean Miller was out of the game for a year or two, um, comes back in, back at the coach at Xavier, seems super amped about the opportunity. Um, so he's obviously going to get them rolling pretty good. He's an excellent recruiter, whether that's the result of cheating or not. As many people said to me this weekend, cheating's legal now. <laughs> so the so, so I think it's going to be absolutely fine. I think they're going to do, uh, they're going to do great. And, uh, and he's obviously still coached some great teams. So, so like I expect Xavier to be quite good. Uh, and then in addition to Xavier, you go to Butler who waited for a while, but finally fired Laval Jordan. And all they do is go and hire Thad Mata, who was the coach of Butler for a while and Xavier, I think. And Xavier. Yes. And, and then was, a very successful coach um, at Ohio state for several years, went to final fours, et cetera. So, so, so now they hired a final four caliber elite eight caliber coach at Butler. So, so in this short period of time, you've added three elite eight minimum coaches to the roster where there previously was no, (laughs) and then, and then you have, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And in the middle of all of this, Ed Cooley wins national coach of the year, which is kind of not that surprising given the expectations of Providence going into the season. But now we have the national coach of the year. What is who is widely recognized as if not the best coach in college basketball, a top three or five coach in college basketball in our coach, Jay Wright. Um, you have, you have three elite, three more elite eight coaches added to the roster. Um, and you have, um, and that doesn't take uh, – and you have Shaka Smart, who's made a Final Four. And so, like – and Greg McDermott just signed an extension uh, with, with, with Creighton. This has been an absolutely incredible offseason um, so far. And, for the and, George, and Georgetown continuing moving from strength to strength by just saying, yeah, Pat's our guy. So, I mean, they've, they, they locked that one down at the end of last season. So, hat tip to them on, on really <laughs> keeping the Big East afloat there. Jeez. Good God. <laughs> It's terrible. No, you know what? You know what the thing is? Is it's, it's always important 
to really invest in your coach after an unprecedented season. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Hey, some, <laughs> somebody's got to be last. We just know who it's going to be. And it's not DePaul. No, DePaul's on the up and up, baby. Tony Stubblefield's got that program rolling. <laughs> here we go. Man, I never thought I'd see the day. Oh, my we goodness. It's, but it, it's really become a sight to behold. Um, and, you know, Hurley at UConn hasn't gotten it done in the tournament, but they've kind of improved their program every year since, too. So it's it's very exciting to see kind of this. I mean, you give it a you probably don't probably can't do a year. Give this two years where this conference is going to be with all these coaches. This coaching roster rivals every conference in the country. Um, it is that good. Uh, so I am super pumped for the, the future of the big East. Um, and Brian, I appreciate you uh, uh, teeing me up for that. One more thing. Nothing if we don't have our integrity. That's right. One more thing. Predictions on suits making a comeback. No, they're dead. I think it's dead. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it's over. Thank goodness. We'll see. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll get an answer in November, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so, uh, so that's kind of where uh, that's a good that's a good wrap up question, Rachel. I like that. End on end on the end on the where we talked about the start of the season where we were having a trivial conversation about suits. Full and circle, baby. Full circle. Full, full circle here on the full forty. Uh, so I love it. Let's end on that note, Rob. What do you say? I think it sounds good to me. All right, awesome. Stay tuned for future episodes. We got the forties coming up. We this season, season five runs all the way until um, the NBA draft. We don't know what's going to happen with that, but we're going we're gonna to run it out until then. Um, and then after the NBA draft, we flip into season six. We do, we're not going to name any names, but we are working on some interviews um, that we will bring you uh, probably a little bit more longer form since we don't have the season to talk about over the summer. I don't want to overpromise uh, because Rob and I and Rachel and Brian all need a little bit of time off. Um, so, so we're going to try and do as much as we can um, and work around uh, potential interviewee schedules. So all of that being said, a huge thank you. Um, for to our listeners we're not done with the season we still got some episodes left to do but a huge thank you to our listeners um, for for joining us on the podcast for retweeting and liking our stuff um, on on twitter on instagram and now on tiktok at the full 40 um, really appreciate it subscribe on youtube on spotify on apple podcasts and we're also obviously still on soundcloud um, but we really appreciate everybody for listening and, and engaging with us throughout the season. This has been a season to remember and a season we'll never forget. Um, and that's on top of the fact that the team made the final four. It's been awesome to get to know you, our listeners. So um, really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And as always, let's go Nova. Nova.